Thank Pastor Folger. If you will, take your Bible this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to use our Bibles today. I hope that uh, that's okay with you. Whether it is or not, we're going to do so today. But it's our joy to be at uh, Cleveland Baptist Church. Lots of memories in this place. I grew up at Mansfield Baptist Temple in North Life. We're celebrating next Sunday our 13th anniversary uh, out of Mansfield Baptist Temple. We reproduced out of that church in Worcester. It's not Worcester, as most of you know. Uh, if you say Worcester in Worcester, you will get looks, and so just that word of advice if you didn't know that, but we're in Amish country, the uh, sprawling metropolis of Worcester, Ohio, and uh, it's good to be in the big city this morning, worshiping with you, grateful for your pastor and the invitation uh, this day. If you will, Philippians chapter 4, let's look at verse 6 and also verse 7. We will look at a couple other verses in this text today, but this would be the crux or the the apex, if you will, of this study today. Verse 6 says this in Philippians chapter 4, be careful for nothing, but notice this, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you go back to verse 6, the second word in verse 6 says, be careful, be careful for nothing. The word there, careful, has this idea to be anxious, to be troubled with cares, to seek one's own interests. And so we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning the gospel, as you'll notice on your outline this morning, the gospel in the midst of our anxiety, the good news that God gives to us in the face of our anxiety. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help as we study his word today. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this pastor and Lord, just to see a thriving work uh, moving forward, Lord, building upon the legacy in this place and those who've gone before and who've sacrificed so much, Lord, and your blessing upon uh, the pulpit ministry, the educational ministry, the mission ministry of this church. We thank you, Lord, that the work goes forward, and we give you glory for that. Father, in the midst of the work, uh, Lord, we also need to consider the worker, the minister, uh, the church uh, individually and collectively, Lord, as it relates to our health, not just physically, but also psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. We pray, Father, today that you would use your word to feed your people, to encourage them, to edify them, to challenge where needed. And Lord, as well, we pray for those in our midst today that may not know you as Savior. May they recognize that all anxiety um, can only be addressed at the foot of the cross. It only can be addressed through the finished work, the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that that means. I pray you would sanctify this time now with your presence. We pray that your word would go forth with power and would make the applications that we each need. Bless this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I was talking to Brother Whiskey as I was walking in today. He said I looked fit, which I, I'm like, I'll take that, okay? At 42, uh, fit is maybe a bit subjective. I'm working, noticing I can't eat what maybe I ate pri, uh, pre-40. And... Um, I was reading the other day, someone was talking about injuries we have. I don't know if you ever have had uh, injuries that you can remember as a child. I fell out of that tree. Um, I twisted that ankle. You know, those kind, of, those kind of injuries. Somebody was talking about how our injuries change when we go from childhood to adulthood, what causes injuries. And I thought these were humorous or interesting this morning. So you have those kind of childhood injuries, trees and bikes and those kind of things. Here's how our adult injuries often start. First, I slept wrong. <laughs> Maybe that's you this morning. Uh, number two, I sat down for too long. Have you ever had that happen? 
and there's that, that, that guttural groan to get up out of that chair. And then this one I find most hilarious this morning. Number three, I sneezed too hard. You ever been there? Throughout my back, just sneezing. What's happened to me, all right? I used to be so young and vibrant. Can I just tell you, as we move through life, as we move into adulthood, as we move into the upper years of adulthood, that our injuries often have less to do with our anatomical, physiological being and have much more to do with what's inside of us. We're going to talk about today some injuries and challenges that we all navigate in a fallen world, some to greater intensities than others, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ shines truth and love and light uh, in the direction of those needs. Now, I may just say as we begin today that there are a lot of things that are involved in dealing with anxiety. Tonight, we'll be talking about depression and and looking at the, the picture and the illustration of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So I invite you back for that tonight. But this idea of anxiety, there are other things that have to be addressed, but nothing addresses certain components of it, which are the soul, as your pastor just mentioned. And what I see in our day are a lot of folks trying to solve and resolve uh, anxiety, as we're talking about this morning, without addressing what only the gospel addresses. Uh, And so this morning, I trust your heart and your mind will be open to God's truth as we study it together. So the question is this, how do we allow the gospel peace that we just read in verse 7, how do we allow it to flood every corner and crevice of our hearts and of our minds? Let's talk about today two hope-filled antidotes found in God's Word and in the gospel that can help us identify and address anxiety. First, using a big word today, let's talk about the anatomy the anatomy of human anxiety. And by that, I mean this, what is it? Uh, What is this thing called anxiety, and how does God's Word identify and direct us as it relates to it? Now, there's a lot of folks in the room, some who have been impacted by anxiety, someone you love and care for who maybe is not here today, uh, as well as been impacted by it, or you may be a bit skeptical. Why are we talking about anxiety in church? Why is that important to us uh, as believers? Can I give you a couple of reasons why the church needs to speak to these issues? And I commend your pastor for doing so uh, this weekend. Number one, anxiety is is, uh, leveling a heavy toll uh, upon hearts and homes and lives. It's ruining people. It's eating up people. It's moving them away from God's plan and purpose. Number two, anxiety often is defined by very subjective means. How do we know you have anxiety today? How do we know that I have anxiety? can't run a blood test, can't can't run some sort of objective, empirical test. It's often subjective, and so the Bible speaks to this and helps us in our reference of it. And then lastly, this is interesting, not discounting chemical and medical treatment, but study after study proves, listen to this, talk therapy is equally effective to deal with anxiety as chemical therapy. So we're going to talk about it today. We dare to bring it into the light of the gospel and the spirit and the word and to allow God to deal with it uh, through his lens and his perspective. All right, so let's talk about a couple things as it relates to the human anxiety and its anatomy. Number one, recognize the human experience. Let's talk for a moment about this. So what brings about anxiety? What causes it? What triggers it? How can we understand it better as uh, believers? Let's talk first about, of all about, number one there, personal vulnerability. So one of the, the, the symptoms or the, the sensations of anxiety is that, it, that a person feels personally vulnerable. Um, we pastors are always looking for illustrations, so be careful what you share with your pastor if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, 
And I had a illustration created for me yesterday evening that was not in my sermon notes for this morning as of about 7.30 yesterday evening. I had asked my son Landon, who's a sophomore, to vacuum out, clean out my car. And so he had done that. He always does a thorough job. He's a bit OCD as I am, very detail-oriented on those kind of things. The thing he did not do, we had not covered, was he cleaned off my floor mat. So I have a floor mat that's like a plastic, like a hard you know, like weather, whatever the, the brand is. Uh, but it had, the, and so he had slid the, cleaned the whole car, slid that back in. But unbeknownst to me, he had put the mat on top of the accelerator. And so I had, I had backed, you know where this is going. Hopefully not as bad as you're thinking right now. So I, I get in, he's cleaned it. Hey, great job, Lane, it looks sharp. So I'm gonna pull my car back into our garage. And so I started up. And for some reason, I must have had my feet off of the mat a bit because it didn't, it didn't rev right away. But as soon as I put that thing in gear, it just started lurching and, and accelerating as my feet got planted on that mat. And I literally almost went through the back wall of my garage. Some of you are hoping that actually happened. I ran into something. And, and, and man, I could make money off of the video footage of my face if I had that, okay, from yesterday evening. Can I tell you the experience of anxiety, it, it, that's the sensation. It's, it, it's, a, it's a, a, a flaring up, it's a rearing up of emotions and of thoughts. Psychologically, it means this, the idea of being off the rails. The mind just rages. The mind just goes in the worst case scenario. It deals with and is consumed with the what ifs of life. And here's the best definition I've heard of anxiety. It's toxic scanning. I'm looking for threats. I'm, I'm looking for risk. I'm looking for things and, and obsessed and consumed with uh, this self-protective existence. And so we need to be willing to identify and, be, and to be compassionate toward those that deal with that psychologically. Um, I was reading the other day, someone was talking about this, that, this idea of deconversions. Is that not a thing in our day? Are you concerned about that, that our young people are walking away from the faith in droves. I don't know if that's true in this, this zip code, but it is in our area, and I hear it from friends in ministry. And someone pointed this out. Some of the deconversions, not all of them, but some of them are because we are not addressing the physiological and psychological challenges that, that are a part of living in a fallen world. We're real good at dealing with the spiritual things, but young people today don't hear us identifying and being compassionate and considerate of these root sources of anxiety that start with uh, our psychological impact. All right, number two, it's biological. And this would involve the interaction between the body and the soul. Uh, your pastor mentioned as far as being asked, how do you feel today? It's very hard to understand what, where does the spirit stop and the body start and this complex interaction between the body and the spirit, the biological roots of uh, anxiety. One author said this, we must remain sensitive to physical factors and organic issues that affect uh, people's lives. Certain emotions, including anxiety, may involve psychological components and emotional and physical components that can be treated with physical and medical intervention. And so our, our purpose today is not to discount that. There are mental reasons, there are physical or body reasons that need to be addressed as it relates to anxiety. Now, just to be thorough, there may be someone in the room today who would say, you know what, I, I hear you, Pastor Snowd, but to me, anxiety is sinful. Someone to be anxious means they're being sinful. Can I just lovingly plant a thought in your head that maybe God will use in his own time and way for those that may think that or be prone to that? 
I can think of one exception to that framework. The source and the person around which all of the gospel orbits. You want to know who that is? Jesus. We'll study about it tonight, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus suffered depression. It, I, it, it, he was pressed in a way we cannot even fully appreciate this morning. On the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Full-blown anxiety and all of its perfection still expressed upon the cross. Listen, it is possible to live in a fallen world and still to suffer from this thing called anxiety without sin uh, in your heart. And so be very careful to not underappreciate this personal sense of vulnerability. All right, now, before you get nervous, let's talk secondly about personal responsibility. Second point there underneath of recognizing the human experience. So in personal vulnerability, number two, in personal responsibility. The second half of our study, we'll come back to Philippians 4 in more detail, but you will notice that Paul, over and over in Philippians 4, he commands them to do things. Don't do this, do this. So in the key text as it relates to anxiety, God gives clear commands, which therefore requires of us responsibility. Um, We all have tracked these last few weeks with the Queen of England, Elizabeth II, passing away. Uh, we actually were in London. My brother Travis, uh, I don't know if Cleveland Baptist supports him, probably you do, uh, has been in the UK for a couple of decades. He's moving back to the, just moved back to the States. So we went over there in May, June, and it was around the Queen's Jubilee, 70 years of reign uh, in the United Kingdom. And somebody tongue-in-cheek was talking about all the things that she saw. Think about 70 years of history. Uh, the things, the range in which she experienced. And someone was just kind of joking about this. She said, in, in those 70 years, there were six popes, 14 U.S. presidents, 15 ministers, uh, prime ministers, and then this one cracked me up, and 59 different starting quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> right? Now, I'm a Cleveland fan. I was in an Indians game on Friday, so don't shoot the messenger, okay? But can I just say to you today, uh, we won last Sunday, right? We'll see how today goes. Um, but can I say to you today, maybe it's not just bad luck. Could we at least acknowledge that? Can I tell you as it relates to anxiety, sometimes we abdicate, listen to me, all sense of personal responsibility. That's not to pile on you today. That's to give you hope that there's a way forward. There's some decisions and direction that Paul gives us here in Philippians 4 that offer to us personal responsibility. The number one symptom of anxiety is what is called panic attacks. Have you heard of that? Have you experienced one? There may be some in the room that have. I just give you quickly a description of panic attacks. These would be some of the range of symptoms, heart palpitations, sweating, trembling, uh, shaking, shortness of breath, uh, the feeling of being smothered, feeling of being choked, chest pain or discomfort, nausea or abdominal distress, feeling dizzy, lighthearted, faint, derealization or depersonalization, fear of losing control or going crazy, fear of dying, uh, parathesis, uh, which is numbness or tingling sensations, chill or hot flashes. That's a, that's a uh, DSM-5. That would be their description of the experience of general anxiety. Now, here's the, the misnomer that often is associated with that, that it just sneaks up on us. And as I counsel regularly with those who have suffered with legitimate panic attacks, when we go back far enough There were some factors they could have controlled. There were some decisions they could have made that at least would have helped them uh, in processing this sensation of a panic attack. And I love in verse 6, if you go back there for just a moment, you will notice there that the writer 
Paul says this, be careful, be anxious for nothing. That gives us this morning a responsibility, a response to everything and anything in our lives that there is a choice that's involved. And so we're responsible to identify and own our fears biblically. And the good news is the gospel gives to us not just a way to cope with it, but a way to overcome through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 37, they in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. All right, number two, let's talk for a minute about, secondly, remembering the heavenly perspective. So we, we recognize the human experience. Number two, we remember the heavenly perspective. Heidi and I were in Colorado with Tate Thronson, another church planner, a friend of mine that started just a few years before us. He's getting ready to build a building right now, and uh, God's really blessing their ministry there. But we went to a park, a national park, I don't know if you've been there or not, near Pikes Peak called Garden of the Gods. It's a beautiful, a lot of unique rock formations. There's some Indian culture associated with it. And uh, in the backdrop is Pikes Peak and then all of these rocks. And we were there on a uh, a weekend, I think it was a Saturday evening, and there were all kinds of high school and college-age kids. There were folks having weddings, just breathtaking backdrops. And I was kind of smirking because where we live, we just have barns, okay? Where I live in rural Ohio, you Cleveland people make fun of us from down south of you. We take pictures in front of barns, and they're taking pictures in front of these, these vistas, just beautiful uh, part of the world, Garden of the Gods. Can I tell you today, much of our issues with anxiety has less to do with what happens to us and has much more to do with how we view it. It's our outlook, it's our attitude, it's our perspective, and God gives us in his word clarity where otherwise there is confusion and ambiguity. And so God gives to us a broader view. Can I give you just quickly a review, and then we'll get to the heart of our text today. Number one, can we talk for a minute about the first garden? So where does anxiety come from? What's its root source? How do we understand it better through the lens of Scripture? Go back to Genesis for just a moment, chapter number 2 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And let's talk for a minute about what happened in the first garden that has led us to the day-to-day difficulties that we navigate in our very broken and shattered world. And in the first garden, you will notice that before the fall, everything was perfect. Before the fall, there was mood order. Everything was in line with what God intended. In fact, earlier, God says he looked at everything and said it was what? Very good. Very good. And so everything was where it should be in relation to God. So one of the things we have to understand as it relates to anxiety, this is key this morning, is what did anxiety look like before it got inverted? What's that sensation and that tendency in our fallenness and in our our corruptness? What did God intend anxiety to look like originally? What was its gifting? What was its its sanctified purpose or version? Look here in Genesis 2 and verse 15. This is a great thought. This will help you and those you minister to. Verse 15, and the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden. Notice these two missions, to dress it. And notice this last phrase, and to keep it, to keep it. The word keep there has the idea of vigilance. 
What this does when we understand the original intention of anxiety is it allows us to channel the tendency to use it in a wrong sense to instead use it in a right sense. Instead of us being a worrier, we're a warrior. Instead of being a fretter and a fumer, we are vigilant. We're sentries. We are keeping and protecting that which God has entrusted to us. And what anxiety does is it takes us from a warrior and from a tender and a keeper to a worrier that's immobilized by fear and anxiety. Um, I was talking with a man about this a few years ago, and we were talking about this idea. This has been something in my mind and heart for years now is that anxiety in its sanctified version looks like vigilance. He said, that doesn't make it easier to deal with my anxiety, but at least it knocks out the shame. The fact that I, I tend to notice details and threats and vulnerabilities, it just needs to be redirected and redeemed by the work of God. And so this before the fall, there was mood order. Now the bad news, quickly this morning, after the fall, there was mood disorder. Everything was disassembled. Everything was turned on its head. Everything was turned upside down by sin and the curse and the consequences of our, uh, of our forefathers, specifically Adam and Eve. And so Adam, if you were to look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, Adam with his eyes wide open watched his wife partake of the fruit and he himself partook also. He went off sentry duty. He went off the vigilance and the guarding that God had assigned him. Romans 5 and verse 12 says, Wherefore is by one man, by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so through his lack of fulfilling this responsibility in the first uh, garden, you and I today are still dealing with anxiety. Does that give us a broader perspective? Then you're going to find in many therapy offices, even of well-intended folks, there's a bigger picture that needs to be framing our understanding of anxiety. All right, that's the bad news. Now let's talk for a minute about the second garden. And as I mentioned, we'll talk more about the Garden of Gethsemane tonight with Jesus Christ. But let's talk about what he did briefly for our benefit and our blessing as it relates to anxiety. At the cross, Jesus accomplished what we call mood uh, reorder. So it was ordered, then it was disordered, and then Jesus came to reorder our moods, our emotions, and our, our tendencies and our fallenness. You look in the garden, you have the disciples anxious and fretting and worried, and, and Jesus is just steady. He's fulfilling the will of the Father. He's redeeming mankind. And so in the garden, he came uh, for our blessing and benefit. But there's another part of this second garden, isn't there? We just read in Revelation 5 this morning, didn't we? There's a mood not only reorder, but lastly, a mood healing. Someday, listen to me, we will all occupy a space, a celestial zip code, where there is not one ounce of anxiety. Don't you look forward to that day? I do. And I'm telling you, there's nothing we're going to do in this room. There's nothing in any other space you're going to occupy this week that's going to fix that until Jesus comes. And so we wait with expectation, we wait with confidence, we wait even in a way that soothes us in the immediate, the struggles we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. I came across a quote the other day, I think it was Spurgeon who said this, I love this, listen to this, maybe write this down, this has been a help to me this week. Without God, we can't. Listen to this statement, without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. So we can't get there without God. And aren't you grateful, secondly, 
he's not willing to go there without us. He's not going to forget us. He's not going to fail us. Don't let your anxiety, don't let your depression, don't let the burnout and the struggle convince you that God will not deliver on all that he's done and all that he's yet to do that he has promised us. All right, now let's go back to our text. Go back to Philippians 4, and let's spend the balance of our time looking at a couple of steps that we can take. Number two, let's talk about the answer of divine gospel. So we talked about the anatomy of human anxiety. Now let's spend a few moments talking about the answer, the solution, the antidote of divine gospel. The other day I was reading a study by the World Health Organization, which has had an interesting couple of years to say the least. We don't have time to open that can of worms today. But there was a study they released just a few months ago that said this, People, speaking, I think, especially of Westerners, of Americans, spend 93% of their lives indoors. 93% of their lives in a car, in a house, in a church building, in an office suite, whatever the specific thing. We spend, isn't that depressing? It makes you want to go out for a walk today just to, to be the exception to all these unhealthy people. Can I tell you as it relates to anxiety? One of our struggles is all of our feelings and thinking is defined by right where we are. What I love about God's word is it gives us something outside of us. It gives us a view. It gives us a perspective that helps us find the answers for anxiety. Um, A pastor friend of mine said this recently. The goal of preaching is to take people away from themselves as the instrument of their healing. That's our job. That's my job this morning is to convince you that you can't fix yourself and I can't fix me and I can't help fix you. We need someone. We need God. We need the answer of the gospel. So let's talk about three steps that help us avail ourselves of this divine gospel that addresses and comforts and directs us as it relates to anxiety. Number one, jot this down, commit to God-given relationships. Now let's go back to the text and let's unpack quickly these three steps that will help us uh, personally receive the answer of the gospel. Go to verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. Notice this last phrase, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. So how we work our way out of or through anxiety is we commit to God-given relationships. Number one, in relationship with God himself. So the first relationship that God has given us is a relationship with himself. And it's interesting, if you go down to verse 5, you will notice it says, the Lord is at hand. Go down to verse number 9, and the God of peace shall be with you. So he has the verse that we read, verse 6, be anxious, be careful for nothing, and he sandwiches that between the Lord is at hand, the God of peace will be with you. And listen this morning, until the presence of God is enough for us, we will be plagued with persistent anxiety in multiple manifestations. Is God's presence, we've gathered in his name today, right? We've sang songs to him. We've read his word. He is here. Since when is God not enough for us? It may not free us from all the anxiety, but it, it makes it something we can endure and something we can persevere through. We have access to the God of heaven. Anxiety convinces us that God's not fair and God's not with us and God's not working in our lives. And may I tell you, he is always with you. He's with you in the most anxious, ridden moment that you've ever lived or breathed. His presence is still there. All right, go if you will back to verse number two. 
And there's a second aspect of this, committing to God-given relationships. And this is key this morning. Notice he speaks to two ladies. I beseech Eodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Go down to verse 5, the, end of the, ver- or the beginning of the verse. Let your moderation be known unto, notice, all men. Number two, in relationship with God's people. So in relationship with God, we avail ourselves of what God provides to help us through anxiety. Number two, through relationship with other people. That's why we're teaching and studying on this together to help each other and encourage each other in what God's Word speaks to us about this morning. Um, I was reading a study the other day that said three in five Americans report being, here was the label, chronically lonely. Three in five, 60% of the people you drove by this morning on the road would self-identify as chronically lonely. And that number, according to every study I've read, is only on the rise, going from three to about three and a quarter at present. Chronic loneliness. The anxiety, the depression, the suicidal thoughts that always accompany that rise of chronic loneliness. And the article said this, listen to this, loneliness is worse for our health than obesity, smoking, lack of access to health care, and physical activity. Loneliness is more of a threat than anything else you can think of this morning. We have got to be around God's people. And I know I'm preaching at the choirs, we would say, but we need to be around God's people. And much of our anxiety, not all of it, but much of it is a result of, of not of forsaking, of not being faithful to the assembly of God's people. And so I encourage you that what you're doing today matters in your well-being before the Lord. In fact, in the book of Philippians, Paul over and over says, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. He emphasizes it over and over and over again. In chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, verse 7 and 8, verse 27, verse 28, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, 19 to 24, chapter 3 and verse 17, and then at the beginning, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, one another, one another, one another. Be anxious for nothing, lean into the relationships that God has given. Why is it so important we're around God's people? Why is it so important that we're around those that God has put in our life? I think it's two things. Number one, it's empathy. Isn't it good to come to a place where people actually care about you? And that they want to relate and they want to, it's not how are you, I'm fine, that's, that's the end of it. It's, it's more meaningful than that. And so, especially as it relates to anxiety, it helps us to, to help each other and feel with each other what we're going through. But number two is a place to find encouragement, not just to commiserate, but to get encouragement and edification that it's possible to have peace in the midst of a worrisome situation. One guy said this kind of tongue-in-cheek. He said in relation to, do we have to go to church to be a Christian? And he said this, sure, you can be a Christian and not go to church. Kind of like a zebra separate from his herd, getting eaten by cheetahs is still a zebra. Yeah, yeah, you can still be a Christian and not go to church. And listen, all, all joking aside, we are getting eaten alive by our loneliness. And it's manifesting itself in many different ways. And one of its profiles uh, is this thing called anxiety. I love Proverbs 11 and verse 14 where it says, In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And right now we're doing that this morning. It may not be as formal as we would have in our mind. We're counseling. We're encouraging. We're edifying one another. May we fully avail ourselves of this gift God has given. All right, number two. So number one, we commit to God-given relationships. Number two, we need to meditate, this is key, on Christ-honoring thoughts. Christ 
honoring thoughts. If I were to ask you today, how do you feel when you're anxious? I think all of us could share how we feel. I feel this, or I don't feel this. But if I ask you today, what's your thought process? It's a little harder to even analyze, right, or to articulate to one another. And so it's our thinking that often trips us up. All right, go back here, if you will, to verse 6. He says, be careful for nothing. And I love that he doesn't just stop there. He gives us now a proactive way to address this. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Number one, we need thoughts that are prayerful, thoughts of prayer. Uh, I was at a, a counseling something, and one of the doctors or the speakers that was there said this, a believer, he said, anxiety is praying to yourself. Anxiety is praying to yourself. You chew on it, you think on it, you stew on it. Are we running to God? Are we running to Him with these different things? And he gives here four different manifestations of prayer we don't have time to study today, but the profile in which we go to God to get help with our anxiety is to have prayerful thoughts. I love the phrase where he says there, be careful for nothing, at the end of the verse where he says, may be made known. Let your request be made known unto God. One of the best concepts I've heard on prayer is this. Prayer is getting to know that God knows. Reminding ourselves, God knows how I feel right now. God knows what I'm dealing with, the triggers that are prompting this anxiety and sustaining it in my life, whether it is physiological or psychological or just things I need to, to work on spiritually, all of those components God knows. And so prayer reminds our thinking and our minds that the mind of God also knows. Verse 7, and the peace of God which passeth, notice this now, we're still in the realm of the mind, all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Paul does not say that the moment you pray, your anxiety will evaporate. Instead, he says, in the midst of the anxiety, God will protect your mind and your heart from thinking the wrong things and believing the wrong things. And so as we come to God in prayer, he is our protector. Isn't that interesting? The same word is found there. I know we're in the Greek versus the Hebrew here, but he will what our hearts and minds? He will keep. Adam was commanded to keep and he didn't. The second Adam will keep. The second Adam will guard. The second Adam will protect us from the threats of anxiety. A fascinating thought as we pray uh, in our minds. Number two, verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, notice this next word, think, think on these things. So number one, thoughts of prayer. Number two, thoughts of worthiness. Making sure that our thoughts are worthy of the God that we serve, the God that we know, the God that we can know this morning, that our thoughts are worthy thoughts. I've never thought about this. Somebody brought this out to me several years ago. If you look at verse number eight, that description, what's true, honest, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, or praiseworthy, there's only one thing on planet earth that meets those qualifications. You want to know what it is? This. And it is our lack of conformity, listen to me, to the Word of God. We don't know it. It's not in us, and we're not in it. 
And much, not all, but much of our anxiety is a result of not thinking biblically, not thinking with thoughts that are worthy. One writer said this worry, and we're not talking about the physical or mental aspects of anxiety, but our worry reveals that we are mastered by our circumstances more than we are mastered by the Word of God. Our circumstances shape how we feel and how we think. As a result, our anxiety is fed by those less than worthy thoughts. So make sure your thoughts today are prayerful thoughts. Make sure your thoughts are worthy thoughts. All right, thirdly and lastly, jot this down. We need to engage in spirit-applied actions. Spirit-applied actions. May have the guys advance the next slide there. I saw this picture the other day uh, with the following caption. The doctor asked me to spend at least one hour on the treadmill every day. He, he, I mean, he's, he's doing it, isn't he? He's doing it. He's there. Um, Can I say to you today, much of our anxiety is less about talking about it, and I'm not discounting conversation. We just said talk therapy is an effective tool as it relates to anxiety. But I think a lot of us, there's too much talking and feeling and too little doing. And to me, that's not something that weighs me down or burdens me down. It's something that gives me hope. I can do something about it uh, with the help of the Lord. In fact, here's what happens. Inactivity feeds our fears. Spirit-led obedience and faith, it, it quelches it, it, it discourages it. And so we need to lean into the action that God asks us to be a part of. All right, two things quickly, and we're done. Notice in verse 9, he says this, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the next word? Do. Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. In verse 10, he goes on to talk about they meet him, minister to his needs. Number one, action that is selfless. Our actions, when we are anxious and fearful, tend to be consumed with who? Everybody else or us? Tends to be us. And one of the things I've found that God has done to unfetter people that have been plagued with anxiety for years, uh, for years is to focus on the needs of others, the fears of others around them, and to begin to minister to them and to meet their needs. And as they do so, God meets the needs of their heart as well. I don't know when the healing from anxiety will come for you if it's a struggle this morning. Ultimately, it won't come to eternity. But one of the steps for you might be when you finally forget about yourself, even though you're still anxious, and you let God take care of you, and you just start ministering to someone else. That will free, that will flood your soul uh, in ways that nothing else will. All right, lastly, verse 13, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Paul says this, I can do all things... I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Number two, an action that is confident. So it's selfless. Number two, it's confident in Christ. I'm fearful, I'm anxious, but God uh, is able. And so this can-do attitude that we need in our hearts and in our lives. And so God gives to us this peace and this defense. We have to take these, these actions. And so you see those three actions. Commit to God-given relationships. Meditate on Christ-honoring thoughts. Thirdly, engage in spirit-applied actions. As we finish today, I'll give you a brief statement. You may want to jot this down. This, I think, kind of brings this to the head and to the application this morning. Not original with me, but a quote from someone else. An author said this, Our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future. This is key. Our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. 
Our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future, which is my number one source of anxiety as a dad, as a husband, as a father, as, as, as a pastor, as someone that cares about our country and things that we leave to our kids and grandkids. Our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future, from, from wanting to control it. Who alone has that right and that responsibility? God. And so it is our God complex often. It is our feeling it all sits on our shoulders that, com- that compounds this sense of anxiety that we often struggle with. I was in the Holy Land in Israel in January, which was a crazy trip because that was in still, we had to do testing when we got there. I went with Brother Kurt Skelly, if you're familiar with him or not. About 25 of us that went in January. And uh, it's, that's winter for them, and so it's a little cooler and rainier. And one of, our, one of our final things was we went to the Mount of Olives, and we were looking back at Jerusalem. It was a windy day. In fact, it was so windy and cold that we got out for a minute, took a few pictures, then got back on the bus. And Brother Skelly was talking to us there, and he said this to us, which just jarred me. We're just kind of noticing the topography and the old buildings, the wall of Jerusalem there. And he said this to us, someday you're going to remember when you were here for the first time. Someday we're coming back to this place. And I wanted to show you these two pictures because I think it helps you visualize it today. The first one, this is the eastern gate. They've got walled off. Remember, that's, that's kind of an important gate right in Jerusalem. Jesus is coming through that gate. And then the second picture is from the inside of the wall. We were on the Temple Mount, and you'll see kind of some prayer rugs and, and shoes there of the Muslims that were praying and no non-Muslims allowed down there. As you look at those two pictures, do you know that someday not only is Jesus coming through that gate, but you and I who know Jesus are riding with him, coming with him? The future, listen to me, is well in hand. It is well in hand. And our anxiety, not the original few forms we talked about to begin with, but much of the anxiety in this room betrays that we don't believe that as strongly as we claim to. It's going to be okay. Christ is coming back. And so for us, we can boldly identify what anxiety is, and we can look to the gospel and say, it is sufficient, it is enough. Allow God to give us the peace that only he can give. Let's pray together.